We're having an understanding that the person that you're having a conversation with has their own life experiences that they're dealing with, their own stressors, their own triggers. And you have yours as well. And so to be able to hold the space for both of those simultaneously is an example of a high degree of emotional intelligence. When you look at how your emotions, how your actions affect another person, and you can kind of regulate your emotions and hold the space for another person to have their own experience in your presence. And you have an understanding and a connection with them in a way that is compassionate and you still will address the high stakes topic that you need to address. Is that, does that help? Hey, my friends, this is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Gerg Show. My mission is to help people get in touch with their emotions and feelings connect to themselves and being a source of healing. My job on the show is to invite the world-class experts to deconstruct the practices, routines, and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life. This episode is brought to you by my own Friday newsletter. Every Friday, I share a newsletter that describes my new learnings. And these learnings can be in the form of new books I'm reading, different podcasts and blogs I'm exploring to learn new topics, such as trauma, healing, relationships, and much more. You can find the newsletter link at my website, https colon slash slash nishantgarg.me N-I-S-H-A-N-T-G-A-R-G dot me. And today's guest is Terry Lenowski. Terry earned a degree in educational psychology from the University of Nebraska and has made significant professional contributions throughout her career. These include serving as chair of the American Counseling Association Foundation. As an expert consultant on U.S. Department of Labor special projects, Terry has been at the leading edge of innovation, evolving nationwide workforce initiatives. She had the distinct privilege and honor of participating in two events held at the White House, showcasing innovative projects which embrace empathy and design thinking. She created Soulful Listening by incorporating active listening and empathy elements and then added missing pieces to address communication disconnect in the workplace and in personal relationships terry is a practitioner of soulful listening a master facilitator and highly sought after national and international speakers so without further ado please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with terry Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nishant. I am so excited to be here. I am excited as well. So I thought if we start with, if you could explain to us who is Jacob Lenowski and why do you consider him wise? (laughs) Oh, what a great question. Jacob Lenowski is my son. And one of the reasons I consider him to be so wise is because of the way he lives his life and the fact uh, that he listens to his inner voice and has lived a life of great possibilities. He's now a a grown man in his mid-30s and continues to 
evolve and stretch and offer his gifts to others as well. He's finishing up his doctorate in physical therapy this year and two years from now, he'll finish up a PhD as well. And his wisdom is is deep and a wisdom that is trusted by many. Yes. How did he learn to cultivate this wisdom, emotional intelligence, so to speak, and listening to the inner voice? Was it something you cultivated into him or did he just learn from other places? I would say our relationship was the foundation for that. And I have always interacted with him in a in a very soulful way and with a high degree of emotional intelligence. And so he's had that modeled for him. It may not have been called that along the way, but it certainly has been his experience. We've always had, you know, deep conversations between the two of us. And I was a single mom to Jacob from the time he was 10 on. And we always interacted in this way. And I think that helped to open up the the door for him to look at his life as one of great possibilities. I remember one conversation we had when he was 15 years old. And I asked him, Jacob, what do you want for your after high school experience? To which he said, mom, I would like to go someplace strong in math and science. And if I could play on a good football team, is there a place that has both? We were living in Nebraska at the time. And I said, I don't know. I'm sure there are many places that have all of that together. Let me ask. And so when I asked around, this Southern school kept popping up. And I went back to him and I said, people are saying and recommending this school. He goes, well, we should go. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, okay. And we knew early on it would be up to the two of us to fund and figure out whatever was to come after high school. You can kind of read between the lines there. And so I didn't even know how I was going to pay for a plane ticket to get us to the Southern School to even take a look. But somehow the universe provides when you have an intention and you begin to take actions. And so was the case with this, <laughs> this little endeavor. And we went to the Southern School. We, were, we met with coaches and students. A couple of days later, we're at a, a park, and he looks down at me from his 6'5", 300-pound behemoth man-child stance and says, Mom, I feel like I belong here. And that was it. So when I say the wisdom, the wisdom comes from him being able to recognize the right opportunities for himself and then to take action into it. I did not, you know, create this opportunity for him, but I walked alongside of him holding the space for possibility. He's the one that did, you know, all of the work and um, mentally and physically and prepared himself to step into this amazing opportunity. And the opportunity was at Georgia Tech. So we were living in Nebraska at the time, and he was the first boy to ever be recruited to pay football for Georgia Tech. So with that, you know, his inner wisdom has is just so apparent, so apparent. And he has like a, a groundedness to him 
that I, I would say it puts others at ease. You have a confidence in whatever it is he says. And he, you know, is a, a lifelong learner, studies so many topics and, and continues to evolve himself. I don't know. Does that, does that kind of get at it? Yes. When he was growing up, did you suggest him some of the books or resources to learn from? Could you explain on that, please? Yes. Actually, uh, we had quite a library at our home. And one of the things that I learned was very important. And I believe this is true with communicating with anybody, you know, particularly a teenager. You need to meet them where they are. And in Jacob's case, uh, clearly he had strength in math and science. And so for us to have a sit-down dinner conversation, I would read Scientific America. So we could talk about quantum physics, parallel universes, string theory, which my background is in psychology and education. <laughs> it was a stretch for me. But the whole point is connecting with another human being on where they are, meet them where they are, and then model, you know, emotional intelligence and be tuned into, you know, you can kind of hear them on a, on a deeper level when you do that. And when there is regularity in your interactions that are of a positive nature, and that can help you weather the turbulence that is just natural in life. What are the ways to practice and cultivate the relationship of emotional intelligence between a parent and a child, according to you? According to me, you know, the body of work that I have uh, been involved with for a while and created is, you know, I've termed it as soulful listening. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through the, the five elements of that. And although soulful listening is not synonymous with emotional intelligence, it's highly steeped in it. And, and I think it will become clear as I, as I walk through the elements. Please. Yeah. So the, the first element of soulful listening is self-care. And you may think, well, what does self-care have to do with communicating on a deep level? Because it's not often talked about indirect connection with communication. But it really is critical. When we are depleted and exhausted and haven't taken care of ourselves, how can we really be there for another person? You know, I'm sure you may have heard the saying, you can't pour from an empty cup. Very true. So is true with, you know, with communicating with another human being. And so self-care Sometimes people really don't understand. They're confused about what self-care means. And it's more than a bubble bath, although it may include that. What is self-care? Yeah. Self-care would include a variety of things. Like, I guess one of the ones that comes to mind is how are we talking to ourselves? You know, Brene Brown has a book, The Gifts of Imperfection. And one of my takeaways from her book was, would you speak to another person the way that you speak to yourself? Mm. Mm. So to speak, speaking with yourself and having that inner dialogue be of a positive, affirming, 
nurturing, growing stance and relationship builds you up so that you have more to give others. Other types of self-care may be the type of food that you eat. Are you getting enough rest? Are you exercising? What kind of thoughts are going into your head? What kinds of books are you reading? What kinds of movies are you watching? Are you checking yourself on social media and making sure that you don't get so embroiled in that, that it it takes away from you know the the richness that your life can be and so self-care is all of these things and and it's so important to really take care of yourself so that you're giving from overflow tell you what are your personal self-care practices on a daily basis mine would be uh, meditation is one that helps me to get centered and anchored <laughs> I also have a gratitude practice, which I think is so helpful for all people, no matter how you choose to express that. But but when we hold a thought that is positive of gratitude, you cannot hold opposing thoughts. You can't hold a negative thought while you're holding a positive thought. So gratitude practice, uh, moving your body is something that I do every day, drinking water. What do you mean by moving body? Do you go to a gym, take walks? It, it could be taking a walk. It could be uh, doing yoga. It could be <laughs> putting on Pharrell happy and dancing around the house. Whatever it is, it's important to uh, have movement in your body. It just helps. It helps with your self care. And so those are those are some practices that I do on a regular basis. And then the, the second element of soulful listening is becoming fully present. Now, just think about that, becoming fully present. Have you been in a situation where you've been in a conversation and you can almost see a cartoon bubble above the person's head with their laundry list of things that they're thinking about, all the things except for <laughs> you and the conversation that you're in, you know? And so becoming fully present, sometimes that sounds so abstract. Well, how do you do that? And I like to turn to just a simple breathing activity that you, nobody even knows, needs to know that you're doing it. And I like taking three simple breaths. And we can all do that together now. So breathe in through your nose, hold, and breathe out. Breathe in through your nose and hold and breathe out and one more time and now notice the warmth in your heart breathe in through your nose hold and breathe out and even in those three short breaths the energy shifts and we become more fully in our bodies we become fully more fully in the moment and i love the quote from not Han, that goes something like this, life only happens in the present moment. So when life happens in the present moment, Terry, I am curious to ask you about your meditation practice. Could you elaborate on your practice? What does it look like on an everyday basis? On an everyday basis, I, I like to start out the day with, with just a short 10-minute meditation. And sometimes I, I've been meditating for long enough that I could just do it on my own. 
or I will turn to an app. I particularly like the Calm app, C-A-L-M. And that has a nice 10-minute morning meditation if you want like a little variety. But I find that it is really helpful to incorporate that at the beginning of the day. Another thing that I find is very helpful is to think of three day, three things at the beginning of the day that I'm grateful for. Sometimes that flows quite easily, and sometimes I need to, you know, take a moment and reflect. And it could be, you know, great gratitude. I'm grateful for this day itself. Life is a miraculous gift for all of us each day. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that any of us are here. And so you can just anchor with that. How do you process gratitude when it may not flow naturally? And how do you reflect back? And, and that's a really good, great question, Nishant. And so, you know, sometimes life is turbulent and chaotic. And we may have a tough time coming up with things that we're grateful for. And so just starting out with, this breath itself, you know, this breath itself that I'm able to be alive today. I'm grateful for that. The roof over my head, the sun coming up. And then you could go to layers of complexity well beyond that. But there's always something that we can be grateful for. So you mentioned that first element is self-care, second element is being in the present moment. And what are the other elements? The, the third one is uh, a combination of active listening and empathy. So to me, if the two of them had a child, it would be this element of soulful listening. And empathy you know, I love this Native American poem that goes something like this. Walk a mile in my moccasins for two full moons so you know where they pinch. Walk a mile in my moccasins for two full moons so you know where they pinch. And that's taking the perspective of another person. And then active listening is really tuning in reflecting back to another person so that what you believe you heard is what they intended to say. And so this kind of an exchange is really rich when you roll that all together. And, you know, sometimes we'll enter a conversation where we're, we've already played out both sides of the conversation. He'll say this, I'll say that, and it's going to end like this. <laughs> And that gets us nowhere. So what I would invite you to do is to enter a conversation and let the conversation unfold. Enter it with a sense of curiosity. I wonder where they're coming from. I wonder what I might learn if I, when I ask another question. And then be open for that to unfold. Could you... Give us a concrete example of practicing empathy. If we are having a conversation dialogue with another person, how can we reflect back to another person that they have been heard and what they told to us is being understood by us? So what does that conversation look like in terms of templates or anything that you might want to share with us? Yeah, 
Right, right. So I, I would say it would be asking a clarifying question. So hmm. what I heard you say, what I am understanding that you're trying to say is this. Is that true? And then, then the person that you're having the conversation with can say, no, you missed it. You missed it altogether. What I really meant was this. Oh, okay. And so you can see where you could get clarifying. You could you know, probe a little bit deeper. So um, let me give it, let me give an example of how sometimes, you know, we can get misconstrued. Let's say Sally just blew by me at the water counter and didn't even make eye contact. I am just so frustrated right now because of that. That's not like her. And then you go into the office and you're just wondering, well, what's up with Sally? And then you find out Sally just got news from her daughter that she needed to rush to the hospital and be by her side. And so then you have an understanding from a different perspective when you have more information. And so rolling this back to the emotional intelligence, you know, to keep your emotions in check and regulate them until you have enough information, you know, rather than just make snap judgments. And same is true with a, you know, with a deep, meaningful conversation. What What is the difference between sympathy and empathy? Because we all struggle whenever another person is in some sort of challenge, our default is sympathy. We say that I'm sorry. So how do, what is the difference between empathy and sympathy and how do we cultivate more of empathy? Right. And so sympathy is, oh, I'm so sorry for you. And that isn't always all that helpful. And so empathy is, you know, understanding and taking the perspective of a person without you know, without getting over embroiled with the, you know, like going down and taking on the negative emotion that is there before you. So it's a, it's a really, really fine distinction. So then that, that, you know, kind of wraps up the empathy and active listening, which is the third component of soulful listening. And then we'll roll into the fourth component, which I, I refer to as the secret sauce. And it is inspired action. When we have a deep conversation with somebody, we may find out an area where we can be helpful to them. For example, in, my, in the example that I gave you of my son, where he shared with me that he was interested in a school that had certain attributes, then my um, inspired action was to do some research and find out which schools might fit into, into the vision that he was creating for himself. And so we all have resources that we have available to us that can be helpful to another person. And, you know, maybe it's making a call on their behalf. Maybe it is introducing them to somebody. But we really are at our best as human beings when we are helping and standing by and lifting up one another. So that was the fourth, the fourth element. And then the, the fifth is where we tie it all together. And that is the feedback loop. That's when you let a person know that you have their back and you've taken some action on their behalf. I'm sure we've had conversations where we felt heard. 
the not the head's nodding. We feel connected on one level, and then nothing happens, <laughs> and, it falls, and it falls short. I mean, it just goes flat. And so then, by taking the inspired action, that's still really good. But we could be still feel like we are falling into the abyss. We don't know if anything happened with that. But when you have that feedback loop, when you close the loop and you let a person know, hey, your idea was so great. I have elevated up the chain of command and you're getting credit for it. No strings attached. Just wanted to let you know what was going on behind the scenes. Imagine that embeds integrity in your interactions with another person. Yes, thanks for explaining all these five elements. So Terry, where do you think people struggle the most in out of these five elements according to you in your experience? Right. You know, I don't know if I'm going to like dissect the five, but what I will say is it's been my experience and observation that few people understand how all of this fits together. It may take bits and pieces, or maybe they have, um, you know, communicated with a person on a certain level. And let me just kind of back up and say what inspired me to create this. When I was uh, doing some work, kind of high-level work on U.S. Department of Labor projects, I was an expert consultant. We were working on uh, projects nationwide, and we were... uh, using what is called human-centered design or design thinking, which tapped into empathy as kind of the change agent for, you know, like revamping and innovating projects. We ended up in the White House a couple of times with these innovation projects. And what I noticed was how powerful empathy was. However, there were still major missing pieces in how we've learned to communicate. And then I ran, you know, then I was doing some some research, review of research, and discovered that through Cigna did a study and they discovered that over half of the American population was lonely. Half, over half, and this was pre-COVID, and that a majority of those were youth. And so the two things empathy and understand there were missing pieces and the fact that so many people are lonely just inspired me to come up with more of a comprehensive way of communicating on a deeper level, which I would almost say that it is evolutionary, you know, to, to, to have a comprehensive approach. And what I also have discovered is that, you know, people want to do better. They want to connect on a deeper level, they just might not have the roadmap to do it. And yeah, I've read a, a book, a recent one, You're Not Listening by Kate Murphy. I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but she, no. she did, she researched the whole, you're not listening to me and what, what that means. And what she found is when she would ask people, how many people listen to you? How many people do you feel listen to you? And then there would always be this pregnated pause, always. And then the lucky ones would say maybe one or maybe two people. And a majority of them said that they paid for people to listen to them, either through coaching or counseling 
And so I, I don't know, this just kind of, you know, continues to break my heart that a piecemeal approach isn't going to do it. We need to have like a roadmap of, of connecting on this deeper level and we're hungry for it. Terry, you participated in two events held at the White House under the Obama administration. Correct. Could you share more on that project and what was it like to be in the White House? Right. You know, was, uh, of course, it was, you know, exciting. And I guess my biggest takeaway is the fact that through using human-centered design and design thinking, innovation in what were, you know, prior stale programs were flipped on their ear. And so then there was a competition nationwide, and I was coached many of these teams, a number of my teams got selected to go to the White House to showcase this innovation. So I felt, you know, it was exhilarating to be part of that, you know, leading edge example of how even in, even in systems that were maybe had gone stagnant, new life could emerge and cutting-edge innovation and people's lives touched in a significant way. So I guess that that would be, you know, the, the greatest thrill for me to see that that happened on a, a nationwide scale. And, you know, I felt very honored to be part of it. Could you tell us some of the resources about empathy, how we can learn more about empathy and cultivate more of it in our daily lives? Because personally, it doesn't come naturally to me. I practice. So if you could guide us regarding some books, online resources, or something along those lines. Right. So, you know what What I'd rather do, Nishan, is to do, uh, to provide those books to you so you can put them in the, the notes. And so I'd like to just talk right now. I'd like to just share some, some examples. Let's just, let's just bring it home. Tell you what. Share with me a setting that you would like insight in, a relationship, a type of relationship that, that you would like me to give an example of empathy. Anything that comes to your mind? Let's go with a romantic relationship. So we're going through life and the partners are having their own experience with life. And now there needs to be you know, a high stakes conversation that needs to occur. And so rather than hit that when you both first walk in the door at the end of a long day, and you can imagine how that might not turn out so well, to have an understanding, have empathy for each other, hey, I know that she is frazzled. I know that he is tapped. And so having an understanding that, okay, we're both coming with, you know, our own triggers and our own exhaustion from the day. And so maybe what we'll do is just take a moment to decompress when we walk in the door and just get settled down. And then come together when we're both calm and you still 
are going to have that high stakes conversation. You're just setting yourself up for it to be the most productive it can be. And so having an understanding that the person that you're having a conversation with has their own life experiences that they're dealing with, their own stressors, their own triggers. And you have yours as well. And so to be able to hold the space for both of those simultaneously is an example of a high degree of emotional intelligence. When you look at how your emotions, how your actions affect another person, and you can kind of regulate your emotions and hold the space for another person to have their own experience in your presence. And you have an understanding and a connection with them in a way that is compassionate. And you still will address the high stakes topic that you need to address. Is that, does that help? It does help to a great extent. Meditation is one of the practices to self-regulate our emotions. So Terry, do you recommend any other practice to work on our emotions and deal with other emotions in a more in a more empathetic way? Right, right. So one of the things that I would, you know, encourage your listeners to do and all of us to do is to become aware of your own emotions and the full scale of those. You know, having a high degree of emotional intelligence doesn't mean you only feel positive things. That's that's just not even real. That can be toxic positive. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just not real. But to, to realize that you have a full range of emotions and to, to start naming those and see if you can build your vocabulary of emotions that you have rather than, I'm mad, I'm happy. <laughs> you know, have something in between. I'm, I'm furious, I'm ecstatic. You know, like, let's, let's kind of look at the scale. I'm irritated. Maybe I'm, gosh, I'm just I'm so excited that this is happening right now. Whatever your emotions are, and then start to build your emotional muscles so that you have an array of emotions and it just doesn't flip from, you know, toggle from one extreme to the other. And your awareness of that, regulating it, realizing that, okay, I'm, I'm so exhausted right now. I'm so exhausted right now. Now isn't the time for me to really engage with another person because I don't have my whole range of emotions. I don't have access to them right now. And, and we, we realize how our emotions and how our state affects other people. And we can you know, present a grounded, calm persona. No, it's not even persona. Being our being is in that space of groundedness, solidness. It really provides safety, almost a safe bubble for another person to to be in their emotions. And what I have observed is when when I'm around or when I see a high a person with high emotional intelligence, it's almost like others will entrain themselves to that higher level when it is exemplified. And well, I'm going to give an example of myself when I was spinning, spinning a little bit recently. And normally I am 
you know, well emotionally regulated, pretty calm. I have kind of a centeredness to me most of the time. Uh, and I was uh, recently asked to leave the the place that I've been staying, this wonderful condo in Midtown Atlanta. My landlord, unfortunately, had passed away and they wanted to settle the estate. And that was understandable. I didn't want to buy. And so I was left with the question, what to do next? And I was kind of spinning a little bit, you know, because I had a short fuse to do this. And that was uncustomary for me to be kind of out of sorts, but it happens to all of us. And so my son, who I've mentioned, 6'5", and the whole bit, and very calm, he said, Mom, why don't you just put everything in storage and go on the Terry World Tour to see where you belong next? And I looked at him like, kind of like a dog cocks their head and goes, I went, huh, why, why don't I? Why don't I? And so then began the tour that I'm on right now, living in different places. But my point connected to what we're talking about, sometimes you, it, you really benefit by being around others who are exhibiting a higher degree of emotional intelligence, especially when you're triggered and spinning a little bit out of control. At that point in time, you definitely don't want to go to somebody else who's also spinning. You know, having having even one or two people that you can turn to that are pretty grounded can be extraordinarily helpful. I would love for you to dig deeper more into living in different places. So how do you adjust your lifestyle when you move from one place to another? Oh, that's, that's such a great question. And what I am experiencing is tapping into my emotional intelligence on a wildly elevated level <laughs> and using checking in with my emotional state and using that as my GPS as I go through living in different places, deciding where I belong for the long term. And so what I'm understanding and experiencing is people are people no matter where you are. And connecting is what we all want. And no matter where I am, even <laughs> under the umbrella of COVID and economic turmoil for the world and, and so on and so forth, I find by extending kindness and being, being available for a conversation, what I find is the humanity in each of us is more similar than dissimilar. When you pick a particular place to live, do you have certain rules, parameters to feel a sense of belonging there or you just feel it? So what does it look like to pick a place? Well, one of the ones that I selected was Scottsdale. And the reason that I did that is because I had a couple of, you know, really significant relationships, like long-term friendships, a couple that I've known for, for over 30 years and so on and so forth. And then what I was also looking for is spending time outside and in nature. And I have found that to be a beautiful anchor for me and a beautiful experience. And I'm learning so many lessons by through hiking or being outside and photography's 
something very important to me. And so that has been, you know, a, a new, a newly expanded joy. And so I have one story that I'm going to share with you, and it is uh, about the wild horses. I don't know if you've ever seen wild horses in their no. habitat, but I have a fondness for horses and I wanted to have this experience. So I went out the first time eager, eager to see them, and I didn't see any. I saw a lot of evidence that horses had been there, <laughs> but no horses. And so uh, kind of a life lesson. So when you want something badly and you don't get it at first, do you stop? And I thought, no, no. So what I did was I you know, gathered more information, talked to people that were more in the know, and then I went back a second time. And I was hiking up this river. No other people were around, so it wasn't a time when horses were expected. But I found this rock by the river. And I sat on the rock and meditated and just got centered, and I got peaceful really peaceful. Then it was just like, now. I looked up, there were eight horses coming across the river toward me. I got these gorgeous pictures of them in their natural habitat. And the lesson I learned from that is patience and inviting in and being receptive. And if it doesn't happen the first time, try again. Yeah. I would like to add something on this topic about cultivating joy. And in the preparation of this conversation, I read that. Recognize that life itself is an incredible gift. It is a miracle that any of us are here. Sit with that for a moment. All of life is at at any one moment on the fragile brink of non-existence, behold the wonderment in that moment. Harry, I want to ask you, what do you mean by behold the wonderment in the moment? Could you explain what does it really mean? What that means, I mean, if we sit still for just a moment and just realize the gift that we each have been given to be here right now, and that in and of itself provides wonderment. And then I can connect it to the example that I just shared with the horses. I mean, in that moment, I was so filled with absolute gratitude and amazement. And I believe that each of us can find that moment in each of our days, if we will just pause for just a nanosecond and realize how fortunate each of us are to be here in this moment in time and you know, take stock of what, what our gifts are and then challenge ourselves to give those because through our giving of our gifts, our gifts continue on. Yeah. I'm looking at my notes right now, and my note says that loneliness. So I want to double click on loneliness. How do you personally deal with 
loneliness if ever you get lonely? I am so blessed that I've cultivated, you know, deep relationships throughout my life that when I feel that loneliness, and there's a, there's a difference between solitude and loneliness. There's a great distinction between that. What is that? So solitude, you may, in both cases, you may be by yourself someplace. You know, okay, so it's not the physical difference. It is your, how you approach it, how you experience the moment of being by yourself. So for some, that could be solitude. I'm, you know, I'm replenishing in my solitude. Whereas loneliness is, you know, you feel the angst of being removed from others, of being perhaps not supported or having no one to turn to. And there's a great pain that comes with that. I mean, we've talked about the studies, we've talked about the recent books, you know, and that's devastating. That's devastating to people. So you ask specifically what I do. I will reach out to a close friend if I'm feeling myself slipping into that. And again, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert. So solitude is fine with me. But if I, you know, when I have the emotion of feeling, you know, alone in the loneliness way, I take it upon myself to reach out. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. I want to ask you about one of the books that you recommend, The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. Why do you recommend that book? Oh, Oh, gosh. The prophet is just rich in the journey that it describes. You know, the the journey that it describes, and there is such beautiful poetry within that. And so that would be my recommendation. Yeah, the, yeah, the poetry within it, the depth that is you know, found in the quotes from, from that book. And one's not coming to mind right now, but, but that's, that would be the reason, the, the overarching depth of the words found in that book. Do you remember any positive impact that this book may have had in your life? Yeah, I would say that it would be more of a heart-opening heart essence yeah that would be that would be how i would describe that just a heart opening essence of it what do you mean by heart opening essence i'm asking a dumb question i know but what does it mean to be heart opening essence to me when we understand how we are all connected and that the walls that we sometimes put up at one point in our life to protect us aren't necessary. And so when we can let those down and open up enough to connect with another human being, we realize that it's safe. It's safe to do so. Yeah, 
that would be what I mean by heart opening. I'm wanting to ask you, does all of these skills, including self-care, being okay with loneliness, taking inspired action, being kind, does all of these attributes come naturally to you or have you had to work on all of it? Well, and I'm a work in progress right now, of course. I mean, I had I had a beautiful example when I was growing up, and that was from my grandma Helga. And so what she demonstrated to me as I reflect back is the self-care. And I, you know, I grew up on in a situation in my home life was uh, somewhat chaotic. I lived on the second floor of a mansion. When I say second floor, the first floor was turned into a thriving, bustling business by my family and a steakhouse. And that sounds kind of glamorous, but what it meant for a person such as myself who has a little quieter temperament is there was chaos and noise and clanging and banging and late night bar crowds right beneath my bedroom every night. And so what I wanted more than anything was to be heard and seen. And that wasn't happening in my immediate family. But fortunately, there was one person that did hear me and see me and validate me. And that was my grandma Helga. And when I would be in her presence, I would feel like I was in a safe room bubble, like the rest of the world had disappeared. And she demonstrated to me, you know, this, this example of becoming fully present. And when I look at what set her apart, what made her so available, it was really that she took care of herself in ways that mattered to her. And and that looks different, again, as we have already covered for, for everybody. But for her, it meant, you know, socializing with the women's group that she would have into her home, reading high-quality books that would, like, fuel her in a spiritual way, and setting healthy boundaries. And so I learned from that the importance of self-care. And I would go to her when I was, you know, uh, facing cognitive dissonance and you know, toils of, of adolescence. And one in particular time, um, my high school guidance counselor, I'd have that session with him that, that you have when you're deciding what's going to be next for you. And uh, he said to me, I grew up in a, a town of 3000 in the southeast corner of Nebraska. And he said, Terry, you're a small town girl. You get lost in a big city like Lincoln, Nebraska. You need to go to secretarial school and work for your family's business. <laughs> and anybody that knows me knows that I would have been the worst secretary ever. And so I had a restless, restless night and went to Grandma Helga and told her the story. And she said, Terry, look at all I've done without education. Just think of what you can do with it. So in that moment, the trajectory of my life shifted into a world of possibilities. And by her speaking 
possibility and nudging me forward, I was able to live the life that I've lived. And although she did not pay for my education, I, I took care of that. Without her, I would not have gone on to do the things that I have done. And so when you ask, have you, did you always have this naturally? No, I've you know, evolved throughout my lifetime. I had a, a beautiful uh, model, at least in one part of my life. And then I chose to develop that time and time again through relationships, through professional experiences, through falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up one more time. Yeah. Beautiful. Life is full of possibilities if we choose to see that, even in the times of sufferings, pain, when we feel that we don't belong. But if we, we have the courage to find the possibilities, we will always find it. Mm, beautifully said. Beautifully said. Terry, it seems like a perfect place to wrap up this conversation. So is there anything you would, you would like us to explore or share anything? Mm, you know, I guess I'll just leave everybody with this. No matter where you are, take one step forward to a better way for yourself and for others. It doesn't have to be monumental, just one step. Maybe in regard to, you know, this evolutionary communication, maybe pick one conversation that you're going to tune into a little bit deeper. They're going to enter with a little more curiosity that you'll offer a helping hand without any expectation of anything in return and that you'll let another person that you've got know that you've got their back. So that would be, that would be my parting thought. And uh, where would you like our listeners to find you online? The best way is my website, which is soulfullistening.com. All one word, soulfullistening.com. Soulfullistening.com. Great. Thank you so much, Terry. It was a beautiful conversation with you. And it's my honor to have you on the show. Thank you. It has been a great honor and pleasure for me as well, Nishan. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit https colon slash slash nishangarg.me n-i-s-h-a-n-t-g-a-r-g dot me. You can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life. You are not alone in this journey. We all struggle in life. There is no shame in talking about it. I go through my highs and lows. I get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life. You can also do this. You've got this. Don't judge yourself. You are doing the best you can. And thank you so much again. Thank you.